the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to our second episode this week. I'm Ross McKenzie. Today we're in conversation with Colin Hunter, an East Lothian farmer passionate about soil conservation and sustainable farming. Colin switched to min-till, no-till methods a few years ago after a particularly wet and challenging year and has tried a range of novel cover crops and establishment techniques to protect the soil and maintain yield. He also participates in a number of agri-environment schemes and is keen to ensure his farm structure and business are future-proofed. Hello and welcome to the Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Mary Jane Laurie and this is the third in our series of podcasts on forward-thinking farmers. Today I'm speaking to Colin Hunter who farms at Stonelaws Farm in East Lothian. Colin has been farming with min-till and no-till systems for the last eight years and feels strongly that we should be doing all we can to protect our topsoil and organic matter. Afternoon, Colin. Afternoon. Hi there. Can you start by introducing yourself and describe your farm business a little bit to us? Yeah. My name's Colin Hunter. Um, I'm in my uh, mid-60s now. Um, we bought the farm here at Stonelaws um, 20 years ago and uh, we've been farming it's 540 acres of which about 20 acres of woodland and there's about 70 acres which really requires to be a permanent grassland because of as a, the farm is called Stonelaws Farm uh, it's not actually a stony farm it's actually outcrop of rock uh, okay. which is very very difficult to obviously cultivate and so it really needs to be down to grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've diversified, which you can talk about later, and we've started a, a cattle enterprise. So we now have 200 head of cattle uh, within the enterprise as well. Um, the crops we grow are oilseed rape, beans, uh, spring barley, winter wheat. Um, and we have grown some more exotic crops in the past, uh, linseed, a ahi flower, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're trying to keep things a bit more simple. Okay. Um, so you've been farming there for sort of 20 years. What did you do yeah. before that? I originally started farming on my own in 1979 at a farm called Gula Farm near Rosewell. But uh, it was on a year-to-year basis, rented from British Coal. Um, and eventually they open-cast the land um, and then I got the, a partnership agreement with British Coal for a, a land, 200 acres of land near Musselburgh. And uh, British Coal then uh, were sold by the government and uh, I got the chance to actually buy the farm. So bought the farm. I don't know if you remember Dolly the Sheep. Uh, yeah. The company PPL that owned Dolly the Sheep were desperate for a farm that um, hadn't had any livestock on it for over 10 years. So I actually sold the farm to them. And then I was out of farming for about three years and then got the chance to to buy Stonelaws. 
Uh, but meanwhile, I also had diversified quite considerably and uh, got a full-time job uh, in Edinburgh. So I was kind of running two things at the same time. Must have been very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to explain the, the diversification, um, in about 1990, I realized that uh, to do work in the city, uh, in the town, I needed more education. So I, I went and did a part-time Master's of Business Administration, a three-year course. Um, and uh, as a result of that, uh, I did some work for the college. Meanwhile, uh, as a part-time lecturer in farm management and in crop production, and then uh, I managed to get a business advisor's uh, role at Scottish Enterprise. Uh, I then moved on to Edinburgh City Council uh, as a business advisor, and then uh, got promoted to companies manager, which was basically looking after all Edinburgh Council's companies, uh, which were mostly property-based, um, and they then appointed me as a director onto these companies. So I was probably a director of about 16 companies for the council, and then my final job uh, at the council was chief exec of one of the regeneration companies they had down in Granton at the waterfront. Okay. Um, and then I eventually took early retirement and uh, came back and started full-time farming again. <laughs> <laughs> so you've not retired at all. <laughs> no, yeah, I've never been, no. I've never been busier. <laughs> <laughs> so you've always, you're from a farming family, aren't you? So you've always I'm had that interest. In the, the, yeah. the farm was a, a dairy farm, a rented farm off the Crown Estates. And uh, we kinda, I can expand it from there. And my brother and nephew still have the, the, the family farm. Yeah. So what would you say is the main aim of your business that you've got at Stonelaws? Uh, well, it's obviously to make a profit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, also to kind of improve, uh, you know, as they say, you always want to put the farm back better than you found it. Um, yeah. To fear the farm was a good heart when we did buy it. Uh, but um, we have uh, embarked on fairly major environmental improvements uh, mm -hmm. over the last kind of three, four years um, and really to try and build organic matter of the soil uh, so that you know, we can sustain good profits um, and, and improve uh, both the biodiversity of the farm and the organic matter of the farm. So that's, and that's obviously a big game of your of your business is the sustainability and, and yeah. for you that comes down to soil soil management. So yes. one of the things that you changed not that long ago really, um, I, think, I think you've told me before it was in after the sort of wet 2012 that we had. Can you tell me what yeah. happened that year that made you change, change uh, the way you were doing things? 2012 was, weather-wise was horrendous. I think the jet stream just kind of sat above us and we just seemed to suck in all the wet cloudy weather that was possible um so the the crops weren't looking well the and the yields were, were pretty horrendous and uh, we had since we bought the farm we had practiced with some well the original idea was to use contractors and the year we bought it it was very difficult to get a contractor so we started buying equipment and we decided that rather than go conventional we would maybe go minimum tillage Okay. Um, and so we walked away with that with horse drills and, 
a horse FG, which was relatively successful, uh, we kind of stupidly decided then to go to kind of bigger equipment and um, we bought a, a Simbo Solo uh, and then as a result you had to get a bigger tractor um, yeah. because we went, originally thought you go, had to go for deeper cultivation. Um, the Because we were kind of concentrating on that, we did get a, a certain amount of contracting from neighbours, which tended to always be in a kind of wetter year when people were struggling. Yeah. Um, what we found was that when we were contracting, you weren't looking after your own farm. Um, yeah. But also the, the fixed costs of the big equipment and the running costs, uh, again, were quite horrendous and in and repairs. So... Um, we then decided after 2012 to really pull out of contracting, uh, just concentrate on our own business, spending all this money on big equipment, a lot of fuel uh, to try and rip up soil. And uh, on the kind of board of research I was doing, no-till and, and direct drilling seemed to be a potential way forward. And I just kind of immersed myself in uh, getting to know what it was all about. Yeah. So we kind of moved to that in 2013 and um, really have been doing that ever since. It, it obviously has progressed. Uh, basically what we call now uh, conservation agriculture rather than a no-tail or direct drilling. It's basically what it means is that um, there's the kind of five steps so it's, it's essential for cons- conservation agriculture. Um First of all, you, you really have to have something growing on the soil all the time, mm-hmm. if possible, uh, or always have cover so that uh, the soil is not exposed to the elements as much. A rotation is absolutely essential. There's been so much monoculture of growing wheat or just barley, and the organic matter levels have you know, dropped from maybe 30 years ago, you were up at 10% organic matter levels, where some farms are even less than down to 2%, you know, and when you're getting at these levels, obviously it's going to have a a, a big impact on the the sustainability of the soil. Really reduced cultivations, uh, ideally direct drilling or no-till, but at least uh, a minimum amount of soil disturbance to get the crop established, and that will vary from year to year. In a good back end, when you're maybe going in behind beans or oilseed rape, it's very, very easy to direct drill. But um, in a wet back end or in the spring where you're short of time, it maybe needs to just tickle the soil a wee bit to get air into it to let it dry out quicker. So it's the minimum amount of cultivation to get the crop established. In the winter, we grow cover crops for any land that's going to be a spring crop. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, having the soil covered uh, and finally bringing livestock back into grass and livestock back into the rotation. Grass is actually the quickest way to to build organic matter um, along with livestock because a lot of the bugs in livestock is very, very similar to the bugs in soil and it's, it's, it's getting the bacteria and fungi within the soil going again, uh, yeah. trying to increase the mycorrhizae type of things. So when you made these changes, had you, had you noticed that things were depleting on your own farm or had you taken any measurements of soil organic matter or anything to compare? Probably in about three to four years in and you know, we're sitting about between 5 and 6% organic matter, which is not bad, actually. Uh, yeah. but, yeah, but we would like to increase that. Uh, yeah. 
but it's there's no doubt that with some of the heavier soils we were starting to see slumping, um, okay. which you know is a kind of indication that your soil uh, has poor structure and a potentially lower organic matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So growing cover crops and uh, introducing grass back into the rotation is the quickest way of actually building organic matter. But also, your know, carbon is also the release of carbon is a, a major issue nowadays. Mm-hmm. And every time you cul- cultivate the soil, you especially ploughing, uh, you release you know a vast amount of carbon back into the atmosphere. So it's kind of reducing the the, the carbon emissions as well. Uh, and so you said, you said that you'd gone from using the bigger equipment that you used for contracting, and you've you've kind of changed. Yeah, you know, we, we had a big challenge of. A tractor on tracks, a, a big five meter um, a solo, um, and a, a six meter drill. A, we still have a six meter drill, um, but a, my nephew has a, a larger tractor, and we hire that tractor from him to pull the drill. Um, But what we have, since we've gone down this route, uh, we've managed to reduce our fixed costs quite dramatically. Uh, We're now down to one tractor on the farm, Um, whereas before, you know, we probably had about three tractors. Um, Most farm businesses have too many tractors. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a tractor costs you between twelve and £15,000 a year uh, when you take all the costs into account. If yeah. not more, some of them are the breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sometimes it's a wee bit inconvenient, but you can always hire an attractor or you know, just take a wee bit longer. But you know, to make up that extra fifteen thousand of cost of a tractor, you know, a, it's a wee bit inconvenience doesn't really matter so much. Um you know, what I was finding not- was that in the winter, you know, the tractors were sitting in the shed not doing very much because, you, you know, we're not ploughing. There really wasn't any jobs for it, uh, yeah. for them. So I say we reduced the fixed cost down to one tractor and we have one combine, but we uh, do the combining for my nephew, Hugh. Um, so we have 350 acres and he's got about 400 acres. So you've, we can still at this stage justify a combine, but... You know, if it gets, if we both were to drop our acreages, we were seriously thinking about just get a contractor. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you've got a fixed cost per acre for your for your actual cutting. Yeah, and you know what that is every year. Yeah, it's yeah. more easy, easier to control. And so have you noticed a big difference in your fuel bills as well? Because presumably you're you're doing fewer passes yeah, over the ground. Yeah, there's been a dramatic drop in fuel consumption. I would say the yields haven't dropped and in, you know i would say in some cases a lot better than what we used to have the other thing we do notice is the the amount of worms in the soil has dramatically increased um and having more worms obviously helps drainage helps the bacteria and the fungi within the soil again so um, it's just a, a sign of good soil health isn't it <laughs> of, yeah, yeah, uh, a good, a good so. variety of worms and so is that something that you make an active point of measuring every year do you go out and dig some wee holes and see well the trouble is it depends the time of year for example you know the last six months has been virtually a drought for us um, yeah. And so the worms are obviously well down, so you, know, you can't yeah. find them. You know, in the spring, if we have been doing any cultivations, you know, the, the seagulls, the ground is just white with seagulls, whereas yeah. 
uh, where neighbours are maybe using power harrows, you know, they, they don't tend to land here. They always tend to land in our fields for some reason. And uh, then have you found that with the, in the, the no-till and min-till system, when you've got a drier spring, that your crops are looking better than perhaps your neighbours because yeah, you're well, maintaining that soil moisture? Um, in the drier spring, they tend to, to hang on longer. Um, you know, they, they seem to be more drought resistant. Um, yeah. But in the wetter conditions, you know, they, they seem to drain better, which is like, uh, what you find with uh, no-till when you can build up a, a good structure within the soil. Uh, yeah. So you get better drainage of wet and, and uh, they hang on longer. We also find at harvest time, our crops seem to take longer to ripen. And again, I think that's them just hanging on that wee bit longer uh, uh, okay. compared with some neighbours. And so do you spray them off routinely with Roundup or anything, or do you just sort yeah, of... Yeah, we use it? Roundup yeah. to spray them off just to yeah. aid harvest. Um, yeah. And uh, obviously control grass weeds. Uh, what we found is that we, we've had grass problems when we were minimum tilling. We probably did get a build-up of grass weeds. And okay. Because we've moved to a better rotation and more spring cropping, that gives us a much better chance to get on top of the grass weeds. Mm -hmm. um, and also using cover crops gives you a good chance to get on top of the grass weeds. So, um, you know, we're getting them under control now. Um, but, you know, it has, it has been a problem in the past. And, uh, yeah. And what uh, about disease? Have you maybe noticed more grass weeds? Are you noticing any difference in disease levels for having used no-till compared to conventional? Uh, it's difficult to see. Um, we are looking at kind of more biological farming practices as well, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, one of the things is looking at reduced um, fungicide use. Um, our worry is that you, know, you take wheat, the, the amount of sprays that we have to use to control septoria. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really you know, one becoming very expensive, but two, you know, how sustainable is it? Uh, yeah. You know, the amount of chemicals we can actually use is every year getting less and less. So yeah. uh, we are looking at that. We're also looking at a reduced nitrogen where we would spray nitrogen onto the leaf, and you know, there's the theory was still to try it, but you know you, you can reduce your nitrogen levels by you know potentially up to fifty percent by oh, really? uh, putting it directly onto the leaf rather in a spray rather than uh, onto the soil. Um, Why is that? Is the crop better at taking it up through the leaf? Is that the theory? I can't explain it. It has been explained to me about ten times, but still, it's the the change of nitrogen through the. To, to become available to the soil, it has to go through about three different changes of, of yeah. chemical to be able to be available to the soil. Whereas if you can, uh, using urea, put it straight straight onto the leaf as a spray, it can take it in immediately. Um, okay. But as I say, I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. It's, it's worth uh, worth giving it a go though, isn't it? It's something yeah, different yeah. to try. Uh, and we know so, farmers who are doing that and, and have been doing it quite successfully. You know, they're kind of at the forefront of that. The other thing you do find is that, you know, since going down the conservation agriculture route, farming has become far more interesting uh, and challenging. Uh, don't be wrong, it's not the easiest thing in the world just to convert to conservation agriculture, but yeah. uh, you become far more knowledgeable about things and uh, I say the jobs is a lot more interesting. 
Uh, it's quite a change of, of mindset, isn't it? I mean, uh, we've had discussions in the past where you've said you've had to get over the fact that your field now, sometimes to others, might look a mess <laughs> compared to, um, no, you know, a conventional system. Absolutely. You know, it's, we originally were using a horse FG, which, you know, loosened the soil, um, but you had all this stubble in the ground, wasn't really very black. So that's mm-hmm. why we moved to the kind of solo uh, uh, Simba-Solo idea where the ground seemed a bit more blacker so when the crop came through the ground you could read the rows and you know that must be better but I mean it was yeah. an illusion uh, um, and troubles farmers still see that they're looking for land that is black with nice green rows and if mm-hmm. it's not like that it looks untidy but the reality yeah. is that you know we're now direct drilling into stubble and you know you might not see the the crop coming through until the spring you know it's there but it's very difficult to see and then just in the spring you can see it you know take off um, did that worry you the first couple of years thinking oh my goodness it's all yeah, failed we were, you know we realized uh, you just had to you know if you went and looked it was there it's just that you couldn't see it from the road kind of style yeah uh, but also, you, you knew that you were protecting the soil. It was more difficult for pigeons to get to the crop. Um, True, yeah. And uh, it was maybe, you know, if there was severe wind or anything like that, uh, it was kind of protecting the, the crop, but also protecting the soil, more importantly. You're not getting the the, um, the, the rain splash. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's when you get the the soil, you get this capping effect. Uh, and you know, we, we don't get that at all now. Do you find t- talking of pests? Do you do you find you've got more slugs because there's more sort of trash on the soil surface, or is that uh, not, really uh, not um not any more than what we had before? And okay. um, what we're finding is that uh, we are getting more beetles uh, again because of having livestock, and we're trying to use more cultural methods. You know, doing more rolling, we're raking. Uh, to get rid of the, the slug eggs. Um, we we're in a number of conservation schemes and uh, we we're putting in a beetle bank uh, in mm-hmm. one of the fields uh, to give that a try. We we're putting in a lot of hedges, which again, you know, they can encourage uh, uh, an area for the beetles to kind of um, develop. Not, I say, not any worse, and hopefully we can maybe improve upon it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've talked quite a bit there about sort of your min till no till and you touched on it earlier but um you do quite a lot of cover cropping and catch cropping can you explain what sort of mixes you've tried and what you find works well on your farm the first thing you have to ask yourself is well why why are you growing a cover crop uh, obviously to cover the ground but are you doing it to get biomass are you get it, doing, it, doing it for grazing uh, or are you doing it to try and control grass weeds and mm-hmm. so the, you know, what you grow will also be dependent on that. Uh, the other thing that's quite important is the time of sowing. We've got a six-meter horse drill straight in behind the combine. You know, the drill comes in because okay. uh, you know, there's a saying, you know, every week in August is worth two weeks in September and a month in October. So if, yeah. if you're uh, trying to sow a cover crop in October, you don't get much establishment. But if you do it in August, you can get quite a good establishment. Tried kind of using quite a varied uh, uh, clover, uh, radish, um, Dakin radish, which is a very long 
almost like a carrot. Um, the trouble with that was the deer loved it, so they spent all the time eating it. Um, <laughs> Did you get good growth underground, though, or was it just destroyed when the deer had been at it? Uh, no, a lot of it did grow, um, yeah. but um, what we've actually gone for is really black oats. Um, the reason for that is they grow very, very quickly. Sometimes they die off with the frost, sometimes they don't, but it's something that's quite hard. It'll you know, will keep going through the winter, whereas some of the more exotic ones, putting a grass in, for example, you know, is a waste of time because the time it gets established, it's too late. Uh, yeah. Even some of the clovers, we found that as well, to be honest. So, so you don't have clover in your mix anymore because you used to have, was it crimson no, clover you used to use? say, it didn't really get enough time to establish. Uh, yeah. So we kind of pulled that out. Uh, so yeah. I say we keep it quite simple now. Um, yeah. It's more, the impact is more, one, getting a cover crop in there to protect the soil. And um, often you find, although the, the above the ground doesn't look very much, you're, you're getting quite a good rooting system below. Yeah. Um, but that's it. it's about finding what you're doing it for as you're saying whether it's yeah, for yeah. soil structure or whether it's for biomass to you know to yeah put well, this, say we, we, we have one grass weed which has seemed to be becoming a problem in the borders and we're kind of moving north which is rats rat's tail fescue mm -hmm. and um, a very difficult grass to actually control and really the only way you can control it is by spring cropping um, right. But what we did find is that if we put a cover crop in but didn't put it in too thick, uh, that encouraged, as we would like what they do down south with the black oats, encouraged the, the rat's tail fescue to you know, germinate in the autumn. And then you know, we hit it with Roundup in January or February. And, uh, yeah, able to kill it off that way. had a big impact in cleaning it up as such. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good way to do it, but isn't if, it? If anybody has got rat's tail fescue, try and keep on top of it because it, it can spread very quickly. Oh, does it? Have you found it? Is it like black grass that it moves around your farm with your equipment or is it yeah, not quite the yeah. same? Yeah, uh, okay. we, had, you know, we just discovered that with the beans this year we were on the end rig. Uh, we thought we'd clean the combine out, but around the end rig we can find. Uh, so we actually oh, had to go okay. into a grass weed into the beans, but oh, did you? it wasn't that successful. It, it, it's a... It's a very thin grass and uh, thin-leaved, and it doesn't take the chemical very well. Right, okay. Uh, so I say spring cropping really is the best way to try and control it. Yeah, or putting it into grass presumably for a wee while as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so have you found that you need less fertilizer as a result of using your, your cover crops? Uh, yeah, well, it has, yes. We have reduced our nitrogen uh, but it can be for a number of reasons. One, we're obviously sequestrating uh, a lot of uh, fertilizers because it's getting taken up by the black oats and therefore is there for the, the, the spring. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a certain amount of nitrogen required early on to break down some of the, the cover crops. So the, its timing of fertilizer application is obviously quite important. Um, yeah. But we also are putting on a lot of, uh, we got Brewer's Grain from Cameron Bridge, uh, which is high in calcium and uh, phosphate. Um, and it hasn't really got much nitrogen in it, but it's a very, very low percentage. But when you're putting on big tonnages, it, it does add up. Uh, okay. And we've got an impact of that. And then we're mm -hmm. now using... Uh, again, we have a, a AD plant 
next door a, a, from a food waste. And so we're putting food waste um, AD on. And again, that's giving us more nitrogen. But so to see where the nitrogen is coming from is a wee bit difficult. And it's a kind yeah, of. Yeah, a, a variety of places. Yeah. A variety of places. But uh, two years ago, we definitely were. We reduced our nitrogen uses by roughly 20 to 30 kilos a, a hectare. Which is a significant saving, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got cattle as well. So presumably, are they um, are they on straw bedded courts? Presumably, that's going on the land too. Uh, well, what we tend to buy, uh, we go to Oban uh, and Dal uh, Valley and buy ling and shorthorn okay. cattle. So probably about seventy five percent are kept outside. Right. Uh, okay. Through the winter, and uh, so again, a very low cost system. Obviously, mm-hmm. take longer uh, to you know mature, but uh, because of low cost, it, it doesn't really matter so much. Um, you know, last year they did actually get barley, and previous years they've just been getting a hair silage uh, plus okay. using utilizing the cover crops uh, as well. Oh, so you put them on the cover crop to graze it down, do you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as I said earlier, we've now in we've been in a number of conservation schemes, and uh, we put a lot of hedges up, but that allowed us to fence uh, the major. Probably about seventy-five percent of the farm has been uh, refenced in the last three, four years. Uh, so we've now got very good fencing, and that allows us to, you know, have a cover crop and then graze it uh, either with sheep or cattle. Yeah, uh, makes it much more flexible, doesn't it? And, you, and you've got really fancy metal fencing, haven't you? Is it the New yeah, Zealand we're using sort of clip the Clipex system, which is uh, the metal fencing? So we do all the, the fencing ourselves. Uh, we've mm-hmm. probably done about eighteen kilometres, and we've got another five kilometres oh, to do. Um, <laughs> Every bit up of it. Particularly you know, <laughs> fencing, yeah. um, but uh, it's it's slightly more expensive. To buy, but then you can keep the posts further apart. We did a bit of fencing 15 years ago, and we're finding that the posts are all just rotten now and falling over. Whereas uh, the metal fencing, you know, is I reckon at least 30 years out of it. Um, But because we can do it ourselves, you know, we're we're actually saving money, and you can when we're building the fencing, we can actually you know make a wee bit money out of it. Uh, yeah. Plus, we're getting the fencing, so that's like an advantage. The other yeah. thing is, it's so easy to put netting up now. You just effectively put the netting up and then push against the post, and it clicks in. And then the hedging again, you know, because we're putting hedging in, that's going to provide again shelter. Did you have many hedges before? Have you noticed that there's been an increase in, you know, sort of birds and and other biodiversity as a result yeah, of what you've done? Uh, well, there is no lapwing in the area at all, and. Uh, We've quite a few pairs of lapwing now on the farm because um, we've got wading grass and uh, that type of thing. Ah, okay. I was going to uh, say that wouldn't be to do with the hedges normally, that, but yeah. if you've got more grazed grass, that'll be what it yeah. is. Um, we've also put in a lot of ponds uh, with the ah, okay. conservation scheme, and uh, we're now getting swans and ducks, um, a huge increase in grey partridge. Uh, oh, a lot of pheasants, although there is pheasants put down, curlews. Uh, oyster catchers, you know, just the could go on. <laughs> um, yeah, that's no, brilliant. Um, so, what do you think are the biggest challenges to Scottish farmers at the moment? I would say Brexit will be the biggest uh, challenge. We're probably 
not so exposed over the next four years um, because the government say that Scottish government say that they're going to continue the single farm payment, but in England obviously they're reducing it every year, and yeah. you know all the figures show that farms are not majority of farms are not profitable without a single farm payment. Yeah. Um, so we have to be ready for that uh, in you know four or five years time. Um, your know, conservation, there will be schemes going, and and uh, you know encourage people to maybe you know use these schemes um, and have the farm set out for flexibility. Um, yeah. That uh, you see, we put a lot of fencing up. Uh, so which basically allows us to either have cattle or sheep uh, or, or you know, arable, you know, we, we can move about. Um, yes. Whereas the majority of farms in the kind of arable areas don't have the fencing and therefore are limited to what they can do. Well, that um, infrastructure is so expensive to put in, but if you can get yeah. it grant funded as you have, you're right, yeah. that gives you then the option. But to start from scratch, if you were to do, what do you say, 18 kilometres of fencing off your own back, that yeah, would be... It would be over 100,000, yeah. that would have cost yeah. you. Yeah. And it just wouldn't be worthwhile just no, just to do, could, but because you're doing it as part of a scheme, you're also and then you're also getting all these other benefits that you've talked about. So well, it's, exactly, yeah. that's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's working you know, with the system rather than against the system. And you know, down south, you know, they're encouraging people to buy direct drills and all this kind of stuff. Well, it's very, very easy to, you know, go and buy a direct drill for eighty, seventy, eighty thousand pound, and okay, you get twenty thousand pound grant for it. But you know, you're still spending fifty thousand. Um, it's more important to get your fixed cost down. You know, mm -hmm. we bought another drill, a moor drill, but I mean, it cost us five thousand. We spent two thousand on it, but. A, now we've got a very good drill at seven thousand pound, which gives us the flexibility. We've got a tine drill and we've got this drill. Uh, yeah. It allows us to sow grass directly into grass or sow forage crops directly into grass stubble, um, okay. or again going into the honest stubble you know, with cover crops. So it's a, making sure that your fixed costs are. are totally under control and and that's where farmers are but and i was one of them and still i'm one of them guilty of having a, a too high a fixed cost the variable costs are really your fixed costs and your fixed costs are really your variable costs these are the costs that you can control more uh, so it's about getting your fixed cost down yeah and, uh, and you've done that by reducing your equipment mostly and reducing the equipment and and um, you know we have a good tractor but it's because it has to be reliable but uh, yeah. Another trouble with equipment nowadays is it's so sophisticated that when it does break down, you know, it costs a lot of money to repair. So we're basically, you know, we bought a new tractor, but it's got a five-year guarantee. Um, so okay. if anything does go wrong with it, well, it's not our problem. Um, and so how do you manage at harvest time then? If Do you end up hiring a tractor or do you borrow your nephews for things like hey, carting well, in and bailing? Hey, my nephew's a wee bit later, so we can hire the tractor off him. The reality is that we, we chop a lot of straw or you know, we sell straw. Take some okay. straw for ourselves, but majority of it either sold or chopped. So you know, we don't have fields to clear. We don't oh, feel okay. tired, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. if we do need to cultivate. It's just once over with the FG. Um, yeah. it's, eight, it's eight meters wide, so you, you can cover a lot of ground quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then if you're putting a cover crop or, or even sowing, uh, again we tend to sow the wheat earlier because we because of the rotation we're only going 
trying to have first wheats, well, maybe 20% is second wheats, but 80% of it's first wheats, um, which means we can sow earlier a, a lower seed rate. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, our crops are coming through the winter well because we, we had sowed earlier and we didn't get the problems with um, all the wet weather in October. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as I say, also you can save in seed costs. Uh, and yes, you might get a slightly more disease or weed problem, but you can control that. But if you don't have a crop that's established, then, you know, or There's it's little you can do. Crop, then you can never <laughs> yeah. do anything with it. You know, that's the yeah. Um, so what, what drives you personally then, Colin? Why do you do what you do? I enjoy farming, uh, but uh, well, to be honest, I would get bored with farming if I was just doing the same thing every year. Uh, yeah. I like doing new things. I like seeing things improve. It's great to see the, you know, again, we plant the hedges. You know, you see the, the hedges starting from nothing and developing quite dramatically, seeing the increase in the, the amount of uh, wildlife and the biodiversity within the farm and, you know, understanding the soil is not duct that holds a crop. Soil is a living organism and understanding mm-hmm. how it works. And uh, you know, one of the worries is that the, the number of soil scientists in the, in the, the country has dramatically de- declined because it was never seen as important. And yet it's probably one of the most important uh, sciences that we should be looking at. <laughs> yeah. So what are your goals and aspirations for your business? Hey, again, to just keep doing what we're doing, um, all the diversifications that's possible. You know, we have four holiday cottages, we have a horse livery business, we did bring in soil, a lot of housing going on right about us. So, you know, we're bringing in surplus soil to improve some of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll probably try and increase the cattle numbers uh, okay. maybe look at a, a shed or a couple of sheds to keep more cattle um, mm-hmm. but it's a just looking at costs a, and just trying to build you know, a profitable and sustainable business yeah because you've got children that are interested in agriculture as well haven't you so they yeah, might end well, up taking uh, on my youngest son he is a consultant he's part time with them and uh, he works through the summer. He's full-time on the farm virtually and then he spends a bit more time on the consultancy side. And yeah. uh, my daughter, she's actually uh, works for the Department of Agriculture, so a wee bit of gamekeeper and poacher, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> well, she's just getting some insider knowledge. That's always useful. <laughs> no, we don't, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, tells me nothing, unfortunately. <laughs> Top uh, secret government apart, information. Apart from there's no money coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's a shame. Shame um, you can't do anything about that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so finally, Colin, what is success for you and how do you measure it? Hey, the success is just, as I said before, you know, seeing all the improvements we're making on the farm, uh, improving the... A, the biodiversity, but improving the soil itself, a, and um, just making the place you know a, more sustainable for the future, uh, which is just an ongoing a, a job as such, and as they making a bit of money in the process. Uh, but uh, quite like to do a bit less fencing. <laughs> so, <laughs> hopefully that's you for the next 30 years and that will yeah, <laughs> see you out. <laughs> uh, 
Well, thank you very much, Colin, for taking the time to talk to me today and providing such an interesting insight into your farming business. You no can problem. find out more you can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service and the work we're doing by visiting our website www.fas.scot or if you need advice call the helpline on 0300 323